Well, I know we've got a, a few new faces here today. Um, if you haven't been following along with us these last couple of weeks, we started a new series called All Things New, and it's kind of based on, um, partly on a book uh, by John Eldridge, but it kind of uh, begins and kind of starts with this um, conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples um, on the last night um, that he's alive, and he's talking with them in Matthew 19 um, about the renewal of all things. And that's kind of the, the, his phrase to describe what eternity is going to look like. Um, we've talked about how it's not going to be this place up in the cloud somewhere that a lot of, uh, you know, maybe culture or public opinion or even church teaching sometimes kind of describes. Um, but God is bringing a new heaven and a new earth here, and he's going to renew and restore everything back to its original glory. So our bodies will be made new. Um, our environment will be made new. I mean, everything will be restored um, back to the way God intended it for, to be in the Garden of Eden when he first created it. So that's what we've been talking about. Um, and, and we've kind of just been trying to expand our um, imagination a little bit um, because I think we've lost, uh, many of us, kind of a, an expectation and anticipation and excitement for what the rest of really our existence is going to be like. And that plays a huge part in how we live out our life right now and what we're putting our hope in. Because if we're not inspired by that vision, then we're probably not hoping in it. Does that make sense? So I want to begin today with a quote from a guy named Blaise Pascal. And we've used a couple of his quotes. So first, of all, I want to make sure you know who he is. Okay, he's a 17th century um, French mathematician, and he was a Catholic theologian. So he kind of frames part of our problem when it comes to our misplaced hopes. This is what he says. He says, our imagination so powerfully magnifies time by continual reflections upon it, and so diminishes eternity for want of reflection, that we make a nothing of eternity and an eternity of nothing. This is a dangerous game. We make a nothing of eternity and an eternity of nothing. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Colossians 3. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. But that's just our problem, isn't it? I mean, most of us are consumed with this world. What's going on here? Earthly matters take up just about every square inch of our mind on any given day. We're largely focused on one fraction, a speck, on the strand of eternity that lies before us. So we can see how that would be a problem. <laughs> if you put too much emphasis on this one tiny little part of what's really your whole existence. So time goes quickly. The older you get, you start to realize that's true. Um, one way you know it is that like, you know, if I hear a song on the radio that had to do with like my high school years, like I can tell you everything about that year, what was going on. You know, I, I can remember a million things about that. But if you show me a song that was played like 12 years ago in whatever that would be, 2008. I couldn't tell you anything that really happened in 2008. Honestly, I don't really, I don't know. Just another year, right? They all just kind of start blurring and blending together. I still remember um, vividly 
the day that my, each one of my kids, my three older kids was born. Um, and that was 24, 22, and 19 years ago. I mean, I could tell you the minutest details of what was going on that day um, in and around the birth. Zach's birth was during the Chiefs-Cleveland Browns preseason game. I just, I don't know why I remember that, but, you know, so just little things like that. And now those kids only stay at my house uh, on holidays and summers, a couple of them, one's married and gone, and, and, and that those you know, sleepovers are going to start to dwindle uh, here pretty soon, and time just kind of marches on. And have you noticed that life is really kind of this series of goodbyes? Kids grow up and move away, pets pass on. We, we leave houses and jobs behind, loved ones succumb to the inevitable. And I know that this is taking an overwhelmingly sad and potentially depressing tone right now. Some of you that, you know, lean that way are like, all right, Bob, relent. Um, but as Americans, guys, we are masters of denial. Masters of denial. And this just popped in my head. Uh, Gosh, probably six or seven years ago, Justin and I went to a conference um, in Nashville, and we had some extra time, and so we went, um, I'm a history buff, so we went to this house where there was a war, out, a battle uh, during the Civil War um, in Franklin, Tennessee, so there was this um, uh, uh, mansion house, antebellum-type house there, and, and where there had been a field hospital, um, but you're just learning about this family as you're going on this tour, and they lost, like, you know, over half of their own children, through, through disease and different things. Like, that was commonplace in our country um, up to 100, 120 years ago. I mean, people lost kids normally. I mean, that was a normal occurrence. The life expectancy was shorter. People obviously died of things that we might now get cured of. So mourning and grief and, like, having to deal with those realities was just a pretty constant space. If it wasn't you, then it was your neighbor down the road or that friend you went to church with that were dealing with loss on a regular basis. And since our, you know, world has changed now with medical advances and stuff, we somehow kind of feel like we can escape or dodge those bullets and kind of control our life in a way to keep ourselves um, pretty happy most of the time. So it's a different world that we're living in now, and it has some consequences. So I want to read uh, for you um, a quote. It says this, I always felt it strange that God needed to command us to love him. It, was the, it is the first and greatest of all commandments. Now I see better. When God calls us to love uh, him as our first love, it is not only because he deserves to hold that place in our hearts, but also because he knows what pain will come when we get that out of order. If you give the part of your soul that is meant for God to lesser things, they will break your heart because they cannot possibly come through for you in the ways God can. Only he will never leave you or forsake you. The command is a rescue from disaster. The command is a rescue from disaster. That same goes for hope. The same goes for hope. When we hope in the right things, we are saved from a thousand heartbreaks, right? Eldridge described in his book three different kinds of hope. 
The first kind of hope he talks about are what he calls casual hopes. And so those are just kind of the daily variety, right? Like, I hope it doesn't rain today, or I hope the meal turns out well, or I hope the Chiefs win back-to-back Super Bowls, or I hope my hair kind of sticks in this holding pattern and doesn't just, you know, sleeve me bald completely. Anytime soon, you might be hoping something like that, just off the top of my head. Ha! Justin, where are you, man? Off the top of my head. That was brilliant. Come on. Wake up, people. I'm killing it up here. So those are the first kinds, casual hopes, okay? The second tier he calls precious hopes. Precious hopes are a little bit deeper to our hearts. These are the things that we spend quite a bit of our time praying about kind of on a a, a daily basis. So things like, I hope my friend can forgive me. I hope I get that job I've always wanted. I hope that guy or girl says yes when I kind of vulnerably stick my neck out there and ask them out on a date, okay? A little bit uh, higher importance. And the final category he calls ultimate hopes. These are kind of the the life and death category type hopes. Like I hope that 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 medical test comes back clean or comes back positive um, or negative depending on which slant you're looking at, right? I hope God can forgive me for all that I've done. I hope God can use some of my mistakes in life in a redemptive way instead of kind of the the damage they've done so far. So another way to look at these in terms of levels of intensity is that casual hopes um, elicit some worry in our life, okay? Um, It's it's mildly disturbing if it doesn't go the way we'd like. Whereas precious hopes elicit fear and anxiety. And finally, ultimate hopes can shake our soul to the core. So when a casual hope is deferred, when you don't get it, you're disappointed. Okay, but we can get over it fairly quickly. When a precious hope is deferred, it can break our hearts. It may take months or even years to overcome And for me, uh, probably the most difficult in the precious hopes category um, uh, has to do with relationships that kind of fall apart for whatever reason. So in that category, you know, you've you've had friendships and for whatever reason, things kind of go crosswise and and you just can't reconcile. You've, You've tried to have conversations or you've tried to forgive or whatever, but it's just not working. And so that relationship is just not what it used to be. Um, and when those kinds of things happen in our life, I mean, that, that is a heartbreaking experience. Proverbs thirteen twelve says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. <laughs> it sucks for a season, but you can get over it and we can get through it. But when an ultimate hope is deferred, the result is devastation. And you might not ever get over something like that. And on any given day, we all have several of those hopes swirling around in our hearts and minds on each of those levels, probably more casual hopes than anything else, but they're all there, and those things can greatly affect our moods and our perspectives. Eldred sums up that section um, by sharing this. He says, here is my point. The renewal of all things is meant to be your first hope in the way that God is your first love. If it isn't the answer to your wildest dreams, if you aren't uh, ready at this very moment to sell everything and buy this field, then you have placed your hopes somewhere else. Nearly everyone has. We cannot move forward in our search 
for the renewal until we face the truth honestly. Otherwise, this will just be a curiosity, this conversation. Interesting, but not the rescue our hearts so desperately need. We fight this hope. We hear about the renewal and we think to ourselves, well, isn't that nice? I'd never heard it put that way. And go right on with our desperate search for the kingdom now. So the renewal of all things is meant to be our first hope, just like God is meant to be our first love. And our longing for God's kingdom to come should be the driving force of our days. It should be the ultimate thing that, that, that keeps our thoughts and energies moving. So let me ask you this, is where is your kingdom heart these days? What are you fantasizing about? Are those things primarily temporal, momentary, or are they eternal? Do you even have an eternal imagination? I, I think I'm learning I don't have much of one, so I'm trying to get better at that. I've heard it said that if you want to know what matters most to a person, look at their spending habits, right? What you tend to value most is where you spend most of your money. You can tell a lot about a person by that. And that, that's true at some level. But I would also say that what matters most is what we spend our time thinking about. What matters most is what we spend our time thinking about. So when you have nothing to think about, right, you're not like at your desk really trying to get something done or working on an assignment at school, and so you've got to be focused. When you just kind of have free reign with your mind, what do you tend to think about? when you have nothing to think about? Where does your mind tend to drift? That will often tell us where we placed our hopes. So I wanna get some thoughts from you guys on that. Several questions I kinda of asked there. And I just wanna remind you guys, okay? Dave told me this the other day. He's like, you probably need to remind people why we do this. Why? Because most people, most people, this is what they like about Wellspring, honestly, when they come, it's like, I like that we have a discussion, that you ask some questions, okay? So I really want to know what you're thinking, because for one thing, I am not the um, keeper of all wisdom, okay? There's a lot of smart people in this room who's had some, uh, some great experiences in their journey with Christ, and I learn a ton by hearing some of your answers. Some of y'all's answers are better than the thoughts I've had, I can tell you that. So I really love to have this interaction and feedback time. So I want to just kind of get your thoughts on that whole thing. Like, you know, what do you think about when you um, don't have anything to think about? Where does your mind tend to drift? What does that tell you about what your hopes are in? If anybody's honest enough to, to just kind of share um, like, where is your kingdom heart these days? Do you tend to think about temporary things or eternal things? So, anybody have any thoughts or things they'd share? Yeah, Wyatt. Mm. Okay, so it's kind of this is this tension because he, he does want to, he feels like he's been blessed, 
right? He's, God's given him, you know, finances and resources, things like that. He wants to steward those things well, but he can kind of obsess over those things too, to where that's kind of all he thinks about is his things and kind of keeping things in their right order. So, uh, yeah, all right. Mm, yeah. So he's talking about, you know, a relationship where he's got some guilt and regret and he wants to try to make that relationship right, but that can, can become an obsessive thing, right, to where it's all you can think about. Um, and so how do we have some balance, right? Because we're not saying, like, don't think about temporary things, right? Because then that's just kind of Pollyanna, you know, <laughs> ism, um, where you're, you're not really focused on reality, but how do we have a balance between those two things? And maybe a balance enough that, that our perspective on eternity shapes our perspective on the temporary thing that we're obsessing over and gives it some, some balance as well. So that's good. Rain, did you have some? Yeah, I had a few thoughts going through my head. Number one is um, when you talk about help, um, I've been taught to hang on to pain in, like trusting God because he has it for me. Um, number two is I'm a spiritual being on a human journey and my destination is unknown to me. I can never know what God's plan for me is, even though I've thought and imagined about what heaven would be like and a house full of rooms and the pearl gates and gold and all that. Um, that's man's theory and what you've taught me and what the church has taught me is heaven on earth. And I've started looking at the beauty of the planet around me and the things that I've been missing, the smells, the sights, the sounds, and the opportunities that are here and more focused on maybe this is what God's plan. Mm -hmm. So my thoughts have changed and grown mm -hmm. through periods of time in studying the Bible and being a part of a church to realize that my mind cannot conceive of what God's real plan is yeah. for the world. My part in it is to do the best I can to help other people to know God as mm -hmm. I know God. Yeah, so we can't, yeah, we can't know uh, what that's going to be like um, for sure. I think one thing we've talked about, though, is last week we talked a lot about when God gives us those glimpses, right? We have, we have those moments. We all imagine those moments. Uh, last week, those of you that were here um, or watching at home, um, where we just sense the divine, like we sense God's presence in this, and we think, man, this has got to be an element of what I'm experiencing now has got to be a part of like what God might have in store for us, but obviously bigger and better because everybody involved uh, in our image is going to be perfect. <laughs> so there's no sin, nothing that gets in the way of those moments, no regrets we talked about this morning. Okay, so good. I want you guys to go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 today. It's page 920. familiar story. Uh, Jesus is having this encounter, starting in verse uh, 17 of Mark 10. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich man to enter the rich, to enter the kingdom of God? So this obviously kind of delusional delusional man (laughs) begins by asking Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And he seems pretty sincere. I mean, this is a pretty dramatic scene. It says that he runs up to him falls on his knees before him. You know, God, what must I do? And the whole interaction is going fairly well until Jesus hits him with what it is that he worships. What are you putting your your hope in? And so Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And as a side note, uh, as I was thinking this through this week, I was thinking, I wonder how many Christians there would be in America if Jesus asked all Americans, gave them the same command. Hey, if you want to be a follower of mine, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. It's a little bit different when we shift the, the focus back onto ourselves, right? What's your hope in? What is your hope in? Some of you guys were thinking a a, a minute ago about what it is that my mind tends to drift to and that we can find out a lot about what our hopes are in in those moments. So so what was that for you, if you're honest? (laughs) Whatever it is, if it's not Jesus, here's what I can guarantee you. If you're seeking God's will and really wanting to align yourself with him, He is going to ask you to surrender whatever that thing is. Whatever that thing in your life you're putting your hope in that is not him, if you're seeking him, he is going to say, I want you to surrender that so that you can follow me. The scripture says you can't follow two masters, right? You can't serve God and money or fill in the blank, whatever it is. Our hearts can't be torn in two different directions. Why does he demand that? He demands it because he's trying to save us from the pain of misplaced hope. He looked on that man in this story and it says he looked on him and he loved him. He loved him. And he loved him enough to ask for the thing that would ultimately wreck his heart which was just temporary pleasures. So whatever that is for you, success, prestige, a relationship, material things, your image, whatever it is, God says, that is going to wreck you if I let you keep that. I need you to surrender it to me for your own benefit. (laughs) All around our country, people are trying to buy the kingdom of heaven. So I see this in my own life when I go running. I generally tend to like to go running in neighborhoods that are nicer than my own. 
So I go running to these other neighborhoods um, whose houses are a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer, a little bit more room, a little newer than mine. And honestly, I can spend quite a bit of time just kind of fantasizing about what it would be like to live in that house or that house over there. Looks lovely. And I think the subtle lie underneath that whole experience is that, man, I bet if we lived there, we'd probably be a little bit happier. My family, oh man, wouldn't that be cool? They'd have that and that. Wouldn't that be great? And I can spend a lot of time thinking about that kind of stuff. Maybe for you, it's different things. Maybe it's travel websites. You go on and, oh man, if we could take this vacation or, or cars or clothes or technology gadgets, new drones or watches or whatever you're into. Temporary pleasures, kingdom counterfeits. <laughs> the satisfy us for a while until that's not enough. And then we got to go get the, the next best thing, the next, the next bigger house, the next nicer car, the next better vacation. Or we make bucket lists, right? That's a fairly popular thing to do. But you know what the premise behind a bucket list is? The premise is this is all you've got, this life. This life is all you have, so you better go do something amazing, something epic, because pretty soon it's going to be all over. And if you're one of the lucky ones, when it's all over, then you'll, you know, get to float on the clouds and play the harp and have eternal choir practice, if you're lucky, right? The truth is, is God has promised us heaven, but we don't want to wait. We think we can kind of make heaven and have it now if just a few things kind of break our way. We're all desperate to feel satisfied. And Eldred says this. He says, that desperation speaks of our soul's unbelief in the renewal of all things. Do you agree with that? What do you guys think? Yes? What's that? Right there. Desperation our souls unbelief for normal things. It's hard to think about what's gonna happen after this. I mean, for me, I spend a lot of my time thinking about what's gonna happen after college, but it's hard for us to think what's gonna happen after we die. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he says, you know, I, he, you know, he's a college student, right? So he thinks a lot about what after college is going to be, but what after eternity is going to be, that's just difficult to wrap our minds around, right? Even though Scripture is filled with hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about what that's going to be like, and Jesus spent a ton of time talking about it. So, you know, it's this tension, right? It's like we're supposed to be following this guy who made a lot of what eternity is going to be about. That's why, right, when, when Jesus came the first time, so many people missed him because they're the same thing. They're just focused on what's going on right now. And then all of a sudden, it's here, and I'm not sure that I'm ready for it or I believed it fully. You see, our actions and the things that we do and where we put our time and energy and all those things tells us a lot about what we really believe. Do we really believe these things? Most of us cling to this world so tightly I mean, right now, guys, if, 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 if visibly 
like I could actually see if we had an imagery, if all of you put your hands up and gripped like this and the things that you're clinging to in life could be seen by everybody else in this place, including my own, we'd all be pretty, we probably wouldn't be that surprised, honestly. You'd probably be like, yep, that's about right, right? God, we clutch so many things so tightly, people, places, you know, material things that we feel like we have to have. We, we clutch our slowly deteriorating bodies. <laughs> we spend a lot of time, some of us, <laughs> trying to make this, this body hold on, <laughs> trying to keep all those things that we're clinging to work just enough to keep us just satisfied at some level. And we do all that while the Bible speaks of a very different reality. Psalm 39.5 says this, You've made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Even those that seem secure. I didn't remember that part of the verse. Man, that's, that's really powerful. Well, here's what I'm trying to get, trying to get us to here. <laughs> In order to truly embrace the hope of the next life, we first have to be honest about the nature of this life. Okay? In order to fully embrace the hope of the next life, we have to first be honest with ourselves about the nature of this life. I don't know if any of you guys have read Henry Nouwen much. I love talking about him. He's one of the most powerful and succinct communicators. His books are all like 70 or 80 pages long, which is awesome. Here's what he wrote on this topic. He said, our life is a short time in expectation, a time in which sadness and joy kiss, kiss each other at every moment. There's a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our lives. It seems there is no such thing as a clear cut, pure joy but that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there's an awareness of limitations. In every success, there is the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. In every friendship, distance. And in all forms of light, there is the knowledge of surrounding darkness. Just ponder that for a moment. Leave that up there for a second. What stood out to you or what rang true to you as you heard that? Yeah, Tasha. Yeah, there's always kind of this shadow of our doubts and fears and things that kind of surround us no matter how pretty the face we put on at any moment. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Jake.
Mm. Yeah. 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 The mass we put on, that we look like um, we try to put together, but behind us, we might be a little dying inside. But guys, I think there's even something a little bit deeper here, too, is that even those moments where we really do feel like, man, everything is just awesome. <laughs> even in those moments, if you let yourself think a little bit, there's this sense of, yeah, but this isn't going to last right? Like we might be in this awesome place with our spouse and things are going great, but it's like, I mean, I want to get weird here, but it's like one day, like one of us is going to watch the other one die. <laughs> and it's not like, you know, I, we, I want you all to sit around and just dwell on that all the time, but it's just the reality of the imperfect world that we live in, this broken, sinful, slowly dying world. And the sooner that we come to kind of grips with that truth, instead of trying to kind of just ignore it or numb it or get distracted by it, only then will we be able to really fully begin to embrace and appreciate what God has planned for us in this next life. We'll value it so much more instead of clinging to this thing that's just going to slip through our hands soon anyways. Our best laid plans are great until something comes along and kind of upsets the apple cart. When tragedy or misfortune interrupt our carefully planned grasp for the kingdom, it's only then that we remember there is only Jesus. And he tried to warn us of this folly, didn't he? In Matthew 6, he said this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are we investing our time, money, energy, are they in things that are temporary or eternal? There's only Jesus. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says this, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Man, I read that and I'm like, man, I don't know. I really don't like funerals. I really don't like grieving, period honestly. I don't like uh, those, uh, those environments, but I get the writer's point. None of us can avoid death. So instead of ignoring the issue, maybe we need to kind of hit the issue head on. Maybe acknowledging immortality will help us transition to a more eternally focused perspective, a mindset that will increase our desire and our longing for the renewal of all things. Once again, Paul said something about this topic as well. 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people to be pitied. What, Paul, what is Paul saying there? He's saying that, that if there is no eternal life, why bother following Christ now? Because following Christ is hard. Why not just live life the way you want if there is no future? There has to be something more to make this whole Christian journey worthwhile. So as we wrap up here, guys, when push comes to shove, all right, the kingdom is all we have. There is only Jesus. Everything else in this life, all the things, the people, the experiences we pursue so fervently will all pass away or disappoint or kind of slip through our grasp until we admit that all we have is Jesus and his kingdom the hope of the renewal of all things won't be very appealing. So here's the question I want to leave you with today to ponder. <laughs> is our first love God? And is our first hope his kingdom? Is our first love God? Is our first hope his kingdom? Because if it isn't, then I'm afraid that all of us, like that rich young ruler in the story, are going to walk away sad, unwilling to let go of the worldly things we put our hopes in, settling for something much less than the paradise that God has in store for those who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your love for us. Thank you that you won't allow us to be satisfied with something less than you. Thank you for being willing to just come along and say, hey, you need to surrender that. You need to loosen your grip on that. You need to stop putting your hope on that or in that person or in that temporary dream you have for this world, that the better job is going to satisfy a little bit more money, that, that new whatever. And God, we all do that. We try to grasp for things that make us feel good now, and we lose sight of the fact that we weren't made for this world the way it is. <laughs> Scripture tells us that we are aliens and strangers in this broken, sinful world. We were made for Eden. We were made for the garden. We were made for your kingdom. And at the renewal of all things, all those things are going to come together and it'll all make sense. But for now, it just hurts. And so, God, I pray that we would find our hope in you so that we can lead other people to that hope. Because this whole world is chasing after things that are never going to satisfy them. And we've got an answer. <laughs> we've got a person, a savior that satisfies us. And we need to make sure that he is, and we need to make sure that we're sharing that with other folks. So help us this week to kind of look at, what, what, do I have any other loves before God? Do I have any other hopes before his kingdom? And help us to realign our thoughts to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.